This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Great to have you back for another episode. And today we actually had Bastion Green on the show. I think it was episode 235. And uh, we were discussing thermals, optics, scanners. So we thought we'd do another show. It was actually pretty popular uh, the first time around. People had a lot of questions uh, and um, Bastion had great success. A lot of people calling up, wanting more information uh, about scanners, about thermals, infrared, uh, hunting at night, pricing. So we're going to go through, uh, I guess, some some intermediate beginner. We're going to go through some advanced stuff as well, which I think is absolutely going to be fantastic. So I think it's going to be a fantastic show. Now, that's the positive news. Now, I'm sorry to break it to you guys. Um, it's that conversation we need to have. Uh, unfortunately, episode 255 is going to be uh, one of the last of the Australian Hunting Podcast for quite some time. Uh, the reason for that is I want to actually go out hunting. The last two years uh, have been obviously hard on a lot of people, not just you know financially but emotionally, and I want to actually get out there and go hunting. So we are going to be going on a little bit of a hiatus. I know people that are listening to this are probably going, oh, you've got to be kidding me, and what the hell, and, and you know what, I completely understand that, but... You know, I've been doing this for 11 years, guys, and, you know, like everything, it catches up on you. It can be stressful, you know, programming shows every fortnight, only up until recently every month. But we've been pretty religious uh, putting out shows for the last 11 years, guys, 11 years since 2011. I think it was March of 2011 was our first show. So I need a break. I need to go on a hiatus and I need some time to myself to go hunting, to go shooting and, and to enjoy the sport that I love very much too without being stressed about um, you know creating shows, creating content, finding guests um, and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So I'm sorry to let everyone down, but I think we've had a really, really good run for 10 years. It's been fantastic. I want to thank all the guests that I've had, all the friends that I've made in the industry. Uh, it's been absolutely, yeah, it really is, has been fantastic. I, I really can't say anymore. I've met some tremendous friends that I'm still friends with to this day, and that's something I will cherish forever. Uh, as to whether we'll be back in the future, to if I'm being brutally honest with myself and the people listening to this show, um, I honestly don't know. I really don't know. Uh, it depends how I feel, uh, whether it will be on a schedule if we do come back, whether it will be the same, whether it will be um, you know, a once-a-year show, a twice-a-year show, 50 shows a year honestly i can't really say i just want to get out yeah and get my thirst back uh for making podcasts get my thirst back for passion for hunting and shooting which is never of course never gone but i do want to get out there and spend a lot of time doing that without the stresses uh, of creating a podcast so i'm sure and i hope you guys completely understand you know the decision and uh, i just want to thank everybody that's been supportive of the show over the years um, i'm sure we'll be back sometime when that will be i don't know but i'm sure if we do It'll be a fantastic comeback and we'll have lots of shows coming up if we do that. So again, I just want to thank everyone, of course, majorly. I want to thank all the people on uh, Patreon. Uh, they were you know, just such a help financially, you know, getting us all through the hard times of COVID. Uh, we had a great group and a great group of people there supporting AHP. And you know, for that, guys, I will try honestly forever be grateful for that. And uh, you know, I couldn't really have done it without you guys on Patreon. So thank you very, very much. Thank you to all the guests that I've had on 
the show as well. Uh, fantastic. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of the great ones I did do, unfortunately, people have passed away. And, you know, I guess that's the reality, isn't it, really, of doing a show for, for you know, almost you know, going on 11 and a half years now. Uh, the longest hunting, shooting and fishing podcast in Australia. And uh, for that will always be, and as they say, it's always better to go out on the top. Anyone that was checking out the Chartable uh, charts, you can see always we were up there in the top five, always in the outdoor wilderness category. Uh, even just up until recently, probably the last six or seven months, getting into the sports category on Chartable as well, which is all sports in Australia. I think the lowest we got up to position was 123. I mean, absolutely amazing. No other podcast in Australia uh, has been able to get into that um, you know, top 100 to 200 in the sports category. I mean, that's competing against the NRL, golf, uh, soccer, you name it. Uh, you know, every, every sport in Australia, swimming, you know, uh, tennis, hockey, everything. You know, and we got up to the the low 100s. Absolutely fantastic. Not done by anyone else in this community in Australia. So for, for that, I'm absolutely proud as well. And uh, we've just done a really, really good job here. We've spread the word. Uh, we've tried to, you know, educate shooters, you know, somewhat successfully, somewhat unsuccessfully. But you know what? I do not regret a single thing I've said. And I do not regret a single thing, uh, yeah, a single guest that we've had on the show because they've all been absolutely fantastic. And, um, you know, I just want to say thank you. Thank you very much. So what better way to go out for a while? Yeah, what better way to put us on hiatus than a great show with Bastion? Really nice fella. Very knowledgeable in the industry of these particular products. I thought I'd finish it. I had to finish it. Even though it's an odd number, I thought I'd have to finish it on episode 255. I didn't want to do it at 254 or 257. So, you know, just all I can say, guys, is really, really thank you from the bottom of my heart. But, you know, as they say, as one door closes, another opens, and there's many more opportunities and uh, life to live, that's for sure. So, anyway, thank you very much, and I'm sure we'll see each other very soon. So, without further ado, let's get into my interview. Um, Thermals, Infrared, with Going Dark's Bastion Green. Bastion, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me. Good to have you here again, talking about all things thermal. Jason, mate, it's been a it's a pleasure to be back, mate. Thanks very much for the opportunity. No worries. We heard we got some good results from the last podcast, which is fantastic. You had a lot of calls, people calling up, probably not just purchasing products, but uh, yeah, ringing up for advice, and it was a really good show. And actually, I had a, a, good, a lot of people calling up and or at least emailing me, sending me a message saying they really enjoyed it, which is fantastic as well. So yeah, good to have you back. What's been happening since we last spoke? Anything exciting? Oh, yeah, heaps. Well, first off, yeah, thanks very much. Um, after the podcast, uh, we had really, really good feedback from from um, people calling us and wanted more advice and wanted to talk about their specific scenario, which we did, and we got heaps of customers out of it. We even got um, an email from the U.S. Uh, a month ago or so from someone, some listener from you uh, in the U.S. saying, thanks so much, this is great value. Like normally we have to pay to this uh, to get that sort of information. So even the listeners in the US uh, liked it. So good on you. Thanks for that. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, um, after after we last spoke, basically um, we really kicked off and we started um, to build our little company, and we were able to um, get Damo uh, on board, who's sitting next to me. Hey Jason. Hey, how are you? Good, good. And um, yeah. The two of us um, are basically a family business now, um, trying to help um, our Australian community or hunting community um, get into thermal and get into night vision and get out there at night and really make a difference. 
Just a quick one too. So I mean, since since the since we did the show, uh, I mean, yeah, purely just online. Are you dealing with other companies? Are you just purely online for you know, doing it you guys yourself, selling products to businesses? No, or nothing like that. Just purely online, dealing straight with you. Because I guess you know sometimes that means a lot to people. I think too when they uh, they buy a product after sale service, you know, warranties, uh, those sort of things. So they're going to deal with someone like you guys direct or. Yeah, absolutely. So the vast majority of customers uh, will give us a call and discuss their specific needs so that we can help them identify the right product for them. And then through that, uh, we build common trust. Um, and then, yeah, they decide on which thermal is right for them. We generally give them a recommendation and options of several different ones and the pros and cons. And once they make their decision and purchase the good, then, uh, yeah, we, we don't run away. So if you run into any problems uh, afterwards, you give us a call. If you want to know how to do certain things, uh, customers call us. I have I have actually, after this podcast, I have a customer over uh, to help him fight in his, uh, his thermal. He's a local uh, deer hunter or, or deer harvester as such. Um, and so, yeah, we, we obviously still here and, and we help customers where we can. At the moment, we only online. Uh, we're hoping that we can... Um, get into a retail shop hopefully by the end of the year so that customers can actually come and see us in person and talk to us in person because we believe it's it's quite important if you make investment like that and we're talking you know anything from a thousand dollars to ten thousand dollars or more uh it it does make a difference when you come and see someone and hold it in your hand and and try it out before you actually uh, make the purchase Absolutely. So let's get straight into it because I think some really good questions here. We've got some questions from Patreons as well coming down the track. But uh, first one, let's talk about buying a thermal. Uh, this is obviously probably the, the hardest thing to do. Uh, choosing the right device for yourself, it seems like, you know, it can be quite difficult. All the technical talk, there's a lot of things out there on the internet, heaps of different opinions. You know, how to work out exactly, you know, what gear, you know, what, what gear do people need? Yeah. Oh, I completely, I completely understand. So you got to imagine that if you buy a thermal or night vision device, it's basically buying a PC, a computer or a camera, right? So you want to go to a store that has dedicated staff uh, generally. So you find that in firearm stores, the bigger firearm stores, they have dedicated staff that know what they're talking about or then little small uh, specialist companies like ourselves. Um, so I would always recommend go to specialist store for night vision or thermal um, or one of the bigger um, firearm stores they generally know what they're talking about they have tried different different devices so they can give you a little bit uh, of information on, on their experience now how you select your thermal, thermal or your devices is you they're very basically in three categories so they handheld devices such as monoculars binoculars um, and then you have scopes and you have clip-ons. Those are the prime three ones. There's some subsections, but those would be the prime three. Now, we always recommend, if you haven't gotten one yet, always buy a binocular first. And the reason for that is, number one, the manufacturers have higher costs on making a thermal device or scope just because of the harsh recoil of the forearm. So that costs more and therefore it's more expensive, which in turn means that you can get the same specifications in monocular for cheaper than you would get in a scope. The other main point I would almost say is that with a monocular, uh, you can scan a huge area 
uh, quite quickly and you can identify or at least detect a whole bunch of animals uh, or no animals on in your terrain and then move on from there. So you can cover more land. And the more land you cover, the more the higher the chance of finding animals. And once you found them, then it is very likely that you get a shot out at night, especially if they don't know that you're around. So you get the best uh, value for money by buying a thermal first as well as the best or the highest improvement to your hunting success. And so when you then look at um, a handheld device, and sorry, I said monocular first, it doesn't matter which type of handheld device, but a handheld device uh, for, for spotting basically. So then the very first thing you need to look at, and this is the most important part of the uh, handheld, is the field of view. You need to ensure that your field of view is wide enough to quickly scan an area, um, for especially for forests. So if you're in a forest, you need the widest field of view that you can get. If you are, and this is around one to one and a half, is a good, um, oh, sorry, one to one and a half base magnification is a good figure in terms of fields of view. And then once you, if you have an area that is flat or you want to see from one hill to another through a valley, that sort of stuff, uh, you're looking at a narrow field of view, which means just a higher base magnification. So then you're talking about the two and a half to three, maybe three and a half, but I would say anywhere between two and three is probably where you want to sit. Um, the next point that I want to make is on handheld devices, you have the option for a laser rangefinder. We always recommend, if you don't have a laser rangefinder already on your scope, you definitely need one on your handheld device. And the funniest story I've heard from one of my customers a few months ago was he called and said, Bastian, um, I need a laser rangefinder on my scope. And he had a handheld and he had a thermal scope, right? And uh, I said, well, it sounds like there's a story there. Well, what's up, mate? And he goes, oh, well, I shot at a pig and I shot 200 meters short. And I paused for a minute. <laughs> Hey, at night, like I was thinking at night, you can shoot pigs at 30, 20, 40 meters, like 200 meters short is huge. And he goes, well, it was kettle at 600. I thought it was a pig at 200. And so he said that would have been very expensive and I wouldn't have been invited back onto the property if I would have shot the cattle. So I need a laser rangefinder because if I would have known that that target is 600 meters away, I wouldn't have taken the shot because I would know that it's either a more likely cattle or a ginormous pig, right? So, and he wouldn't shoot 600 meters in the first place. So, um, my point here is that you struggle as in it's almost impossible to judge distance while looking through a thermal. And with a laser rangefinder, you have that information and you can also uh, basically determine am I in shooting range? Where is going to be my holdover? And can I move in closer? I once uh, went to a, or, or basically hunted this, this stag, and I thought I was 100 meters away. And the stag buggered off, and I'm like, there's no way he could see me. It was pitch black, uh, the wind was right, everything was fine. Next morning, I went to the same spot and found out I was closer than 30 meters to the stag. And it was because I had this wide field of view in my thermal that I thought, oh, he's miles away. But no, he was, he was incredibly close. So laser rangefinder is a must. Um, the last point on the laser rangefinder is that if you later on choose uh, to go with a laser rangefinder, it's always cheaper to put it on the handheld than it is on the scope. So you'll be saving yourself hundreds of dollars um, in the long run. 
The next thing to consider is battery systems. You have different battery systems. You have proprietary uh, external batteries, you have internal batteries, and then you have off-the-shelf external batteries. You kind of have to work out which one is preferred in the way you hunt. So some uh, colors and professional shooters, they need power all throughout the night. They'll be most likely running with an external battery pack so that they can swap external batteries in and out. Um, it's quick and easy, it's no problem. Um, others, they like the internal battery just because, you know, how often have I asked myself, did I bring my charger with me on my hunting trip? And then worked out that I didn't, and then yeah, it gets a bit stressful. So <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, if the battery and the internal batteries these days last long enough to get through a night for most hunters, especially if you use the standby button or are just mindful of how often you use it throughout the night. So just consider that. Uh, the last thing is video and audio and Wi-Fi connectivity. You'll find that audio and video is still not standard on all devices. So if you want to share it with your mates, then consider it. If it doesn't matter to you whatsoever because, you know, you don't want to film what you're doing or uh, you just don't share things on social, um, then, yeah, you might be able to save yourself a few hundred bucks because you don't have to have that extra feature. Yeah, that's it from a handheld device. Um, do you want to take the scopes, mate? Yeah, so Jason, talking about thermal scopes now, um, a lot of stuff carries over that Bastion touched on. Uh, firstly, talking about the field of view and magnification of the thermal scope, a little bit different where you probably want to have a higher base magnification on the scope for a few reasons. Again, depending on your location and sort of distance you're shooting, but uh, a wide field of view or a lower base magnification would be great for close range deer shooting if you can get up close. Uh, definitely pigs if you're um, you know sneaking into like 30 meters or something um, at night. And then on the other hand, a higher base magnification for open field shooting. Uh, so you're out Western Queensland and you've got, you know, long line of sight, uh, you're chasing things like dogs, which, uh, you know, you get too close, they're going to, you know, get skittish and bugger off. Um, so, and high bag base magnification for shot placement. So, but trying to get that, you know, whether you're one or the other, and I guess most of your listeners are probably both like we are, where we like chasing ferals in, you know, forests and, and chasing the pigs through scrub or we're out chasing, you know, dogs or things, uh, you know, out in open fields. So um, trying to get that best of both worlds uh, in a thermal scope uh, would be looking at a high resolution thermal sensor in the 640 range. And then together with the lower base magnification gives you the ability to zoom in and not lose resolution. So you're still identifying and can place a shot uh, using that device. But alternatively, um, you know, with the, the high base magnification and a smaller sensor, you can actually place a shot nicely at, a, you know, a fair distance, say up to 200 meters, which is ample at nighttime generally, uh, with a smaller sensor because you've already got that optical zoom already in the base magnification. Um, now, other things with scopes, uh, looking at an LRF, the same as a monocular that Bastion touched on is if you don't you already have a monocular and you're looking at buying a scope and you don't have an LRF on your monocular now's the time to add an LRF to your scope now there's some where you can attach that 
Uh, there are others that it actually comes integrated now. So the new Pulsar Thermions we've got just brought out this year at the SHOT Show, uh, integrated version uh, with the LRF in their Thermion 2. So a really nice addition. Um, and again, batteries as well, battery systems. You've got your internals like your Pulsar range, which are also coupled with a removable battery. You also got uh, proprietary batteries, which are removable, and some devices, yeah, best of both worlds, have, have the internal as well. So, and a lot of them these days are taking the external power supply as well, which Bastion touched on, which is great for, you know, longer hours, more so for a commercial shooter possibly who's out there all night uh, and using the device constantly. Um, and yeah, the other option to consider is video and audio with your thermal scope, the same as the monocular. You know, is that necessary? Possibly not. And again, a lot of um, guys are, are still not putting their, their devices out with audio recording. So if you do possibly need video and audio recording, uh, say for a commercial shooter for contractual obligation, uh, so they've actually got to present that as part of their contract, then that may be a necessity and not all brands or devices actually have that option. So that's pretty much scope, Sebastian. All right, touching on clip-on. So we get a lot of calls about clip-ons and a lot of customers really love the idea of clip-ons and so did I. Um, I have to say that since the Krypton from Pulsar or the CH50 from Infuray, that's basically when clip-ons became good enough to actually be usable. But what most customers don't know, so it's really important to bring this across, the, I guess, in this podcast, is that a clip-on will only work for you, and by only work, I mean be relatively usable and you're actually going to enjoy it, with a, when your scope is a base magnification of two, or sorry, one to maybe two and a half. But if it is more than two and a half, basically what happens is your clip-on is base magnification one. If you put then a scope behind it, you're zooming in onto the screen that's in, in the device. So if that's a base magnification of three, you're already three times zoomed in on the image. So your 640 pixels suddenly goes from that to duk, 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 very much so uh, to one third in terms of pixel. Yeah, so when yeah. you look at it, it, it appears really pixelated. So when you pay five grand, six grand for something like that, and then you look through with a four by 16 maybe, you look at it and you go, wow, this is crap. This looks crap. So it is very important that you have a base magnification as close as possible to the two or below two. Like a one to eight is absolutely the best. Now, I had one customer who was the perfect clip-on customer because the next thing you got to consider is if you have different scopes, because that's what most people want, they're like, oh, I'll put it on this scope, put it that one, that scope. First, the base magnification needs to be right, and let's assume it is. Yeah, unless the scopes are the same, you have to have adapters for all of them. Sure, there's a, there are some adapters that fit on multiple different scope sizes, but they are not as accurate and they lose zero over time. So you'll be better off to have dedicated, um, dedicated adapters that are suited for your particular scope. And so you might end up with three or four adapters, which I guess is fine. It's just another 200 bucks, right? Um, <laughs> on top of your five grand anyway. But you also have to bring the right one. I caught myself out hunting with a clip-on, not bringing my adapter. And it, yeah, I had to use a torch, even though I had a five grand clip-on with me. 
hit my head in. So it's just those things you, you need to consider, especially when you travel further for, for a hunting trip. And then the last thing on that is, uh, oh, I was going to say, the best customer I've ever had was this guy. He called me. He's a bastion on the clip-on. I'm like, all right, what's the base magnification you got? Oh, I got a 2 by 10 I think it was, Swarovski. I'm like, okay, and what are the others? He goes, the same scope. I love the scope. I have it on all my guns. I'm like, mate, you just might be the best clip-on customer I've ever had because the clip-on is the perfect device for you. You can use it across all scopes, the same adapter, the same settings, and it's just an easy swap. And, yeah, it was perfect for him. But it actually turns out to be very rarely the right choice for the vast majority of hunters. Um, and so, yeah, it's something really to consider. You might be better off to swap a dedicated thermal scope uh, with quick release rings or quick release mount um, with your with your day scope and put those on quick release that return to zero as well. You'd probably be better off that and you get more money. Uh, yeah, sorry, more value for your money. The last thing is that if you consider a clip-on, buy a 640-pixel clip-on like the Krypton or the CH50. The 380-pixel clip-ons, um, they work, obviously, but like like I said, as soon as you start zooming in a little bit or if your scope isn't exactly 1.5 base magnification, you lose that many pixels that it's going to go... Uh, the picture is going to go super pixelated really quickly, and then you're just not going to enjoy it. Um, and we're all about making sure that you guys enjoy it when you go out and more and more people get into the sport or start hunting at night with the thermals. I was going to say, just quick on that, going back just a little bit, I just want to, you know, because I remember we were talking last time on the show, and I, I thought they were all scopes because I never had any experience Um you know, with the scanners, the monocular scanners or whatever. So how many people make that mistake just so they don't make that mistake? Because I remember we spoke last time for people that I guess don't know, if you buy the scope, yeah, if you can't, well, one, it's probably dangerous, but you've got to be lifting the gun up constantly, scanning around to, to see if there's any game in the area, which, you know, by the time you get home after, you know, five or six hours of doing that, you know, your, your traps and your shoulders must feel like they've got bricks on them. So how many people, like, make that mistake or ring up and say, oh, I want a scope, but they then end up walking away with something like a scanner because that's probably the best way to start? Oh, bang on, mate. Um, so I would say, well, what were you, 10% maybe? It's buying scopes. No, yeah, or he bought a scope, and then call and and, and realize. Or, 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 or if they're calling up and saying, you know, I want to oh, buy, yeah. I want to buy a scope. They don't have any experience at all. Saying, yep, I want a scope. I, you know, saw this one or this one looks good, and they want to be able to go and do that. You know what I mean? And or, or buy the scope, and you're like, no, hang on, let's just go back a little bit. How many people sort of ring up and make sort of that mistake? I reckon probably thirty percent. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> First podcast, obviously not, um, but uh, yeah, I, I reckon that 30% at least call and say, hey, yeah, I want to get into this, uh, I want to buy a scope, and then we have a talk for an hour and basically convince them that scope is secondary, and um, like I said earlier, the better value for money and, and the better, the, the more, well, I guess, animals have take and, and enjoyment it's going to be if they buy a handheld first. So I reckon at the moment, still 30% would would expect to do that and uh to be honest it's exactly what i did right i bought a 
ATN or five by twenty-five because I thought more magnification is better. And <laughs> come to find out that's not true when pigs are closer than seventy-five meters to you, you're gonna struggle uh, to do follow-up shots. But then I also it was a digital night vision device, and um, yeah, I thought I'm just gonna bring it up and scan, and then I found out after thirty minutes my shoulder's gone and it, it, <laughs> it's not gonna work. And plus, I'm not going to see anything because it was digital night vision. So it wasn't thermal where they're nice pop out. And yeah, it was absolutely the wrong buy uh, or the wrong order of buy. And then I bought my first thermal monocular um, and never went back. And from there, obviously, it went to thermal. So uh, yeah, it, it is unfortunately quite common. And so I hope that this podcast and people really take that on board that uh, it, it's quite important uh, to go handheld first. Um, I haven't, I can't think of the top of my head anybody that... I was just going to say, the other, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I had a customer where I went through that discussion and he's, we're talking about different devices and I said, look, you know, we always recommend having a, a monocular first um, for these reasons. We went through everything we are just talking about and he was probably the only guy that I've spoken to that actually said, no, 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 I really only want to get a thermal scope and I'm like, or well, how's that? And look, he was a guy in his late 60s, early 70s, I can't remember. And basically, he he goes out a couple of hours a night. He goes and sets up in one spot. He calls in foxes, and that's all he was chasing. So he's just got one set up. Goes out for a few hours, calls in the foxes, shoots a few, packs up, goes home. Doesn't want to drive around scanning. Doesn't want to actually walk around. Uh, he just wants to sit there, call them in, and, and take a few shots. So... That was probably, look, he could still probably benefit from a monocular, um, but, you know, a few sets of batteries in your pocket and sitting there with his scope set up on a static, you know, tripod or, or static mount. And he was probably the only guy that, yeah, would be contrary to that rule. Fair enough. There you go. <laughs> exactly. Let's, so why don't we run through a couple of scenarios anyway? I mean, I guess this is probably just more so private land, but let's say you're a deer hunter or Samba, or you're in Victoria somewhere in the high country or you're on private land, like example, like what would they need? And we'll run through a couple of different scenarios. Yeah, sure. Um, so let's, let's assume, well, well, I just walked through a customer, uh, a few customer scenarios. So um, we get a fair bunch of Samba hunters, High country, Victoria, you know that sort of that sort of environment, and uh, basically some of them. There's two classifications of, and I'll get into that. But um, the first the first group would basically stalk within the forest, and they would walk really slowly, and they would um, scan a lot, right? And it's going to be very very close, so they're going to shoot, you know, 50 meters max most of the time, just because it's thick forest and scrub, that sort of stuff. So in that case, you want to have the widest field of view thermal you can find because if you go with something like three and a half, it feels like having a spotting scope with a magnification of 20 in a forest, right? It'll, I swear, it'll do your head in within minutes and you're going to go, this is, this is not the right tool or you don't realize what you could have, which is unfortunately a lot of our customers, because they don't have the choice of looking at a lot of them and trying a lot of them. So they'll never know, uh, but, um, but we know. So basically you want the widest field of view that gives you the ability to quickly scan the area and just make out if there's a hindquarter in the forest. The next thing about that is 
because you'd be moving like five or 10 meters and then scanning again, um, yeah, you want that white field of view to do a quick scan because all you need to pick up is the heat source, right? And and like I said, in the forest, it's generally a deer head or just a part of a deer. It's not the full-blown deer standing out right in front of you unless he's really, really close, right? So wide field of view monocular, monocular or binoculars, right? Um, but I'm going to refer, when I refer to handheld, I'll most of, sorry, when I refer to monocular, just see that as handheld. There are binoculars, but they're like, eight, nine grand, and we got like one over here, the Exolate from Pulsar, um, that makes out like 2% of our sales. So 98% will be monoculars, and so handheld and monoculars, um, it, it's the same thing sometimes when I talk. So anyway, coming back, and then scope-wise is the same thing, because the vast majority of your shots will be very close. You don't need a four base magnification in your scope, you need to go as far back as you can, like a one and a half and a two max. That'd be, that'd be the right choice. Uh, then, however, there are some samba hunters that sit on one side of hill and they shoot on the other side. And most of the time, or sometimes, they just want a thermal to use it during the day. So what they do is they set up on one hillside and then they scan quickly with a the thermal and that'd be a high-end thermal that has a long detection range so 640 chip most of the time, and the relatively high space magnification around the three and uh, sorry two and a half ish. And then what they do is they scan the hillside, and if they can't find a heat source on the hillside, then they pack up and move to the next hill or ridge. And if they find one, then they set up their spotting scope, and then they look what it is if it if they want to take it, etc. Because what they used to do is they would scan it with a spotting scope, and they might scan for two hours one hillside and then decide to move on. And they're not even 100% sure if they've seen every animal on that hill. Um, and so with a the thermal, they just rock up, they scan the hillside relatively quickly, and then if, if there's something is there, they stick around, and if not, they pack up and they and they go to the next hillside, and therefore improving uh, their sandbar their hunting significantly throughout the day instead of just the night. Obviously, when it comes to night, that is going to be a little bit of a challenge uh, because you'll struggle to, and they'll, they'll shoot 500 meters, right? So you'll struggle to clearly identify animals at that distance, even though if you have the, the best of the best, um, it gets to a point where, yeah, you're quite confident it's a deer, but it'll be extremely difficult to judge how big the deer is. And therefore, um, if you actually want to want to shoot him and take him or not. So um, that's the limitation there. Um, yeah, then you want to take the piggies? Yeah, I was going to say, next one, yeah, because it's obviously different in, um, you know, samba hunting or even deer hunting in sort of that high terrain area. You know, what about pig hunting, say, you know, eastern Queensland, for an example? Out western Queensland, you know, because it is so open, um, you know, it's not going to be hilly uh, or lots of forest. Um, you're probably going to be moving around in a vehicle. So for a monocular, you want to have a wide field of view uh, because you're moving around and, you know, they're not stabilised. So, you know, you get a lot of bouncing around in the vehicle, driving paddocks and things like that. So having that wide field of view is going to take out a lot of that movement and help you focus on the on the image. Um, but in saying that, you if you're maybe set up static and you're shooting things long range, um, you know, over 200 metres at night under thermal, then you probably want a scanner or a monocular uh, that has got a higher base magnification, maybe above three 
and possibly even a 640 census. So you're actually picking up, not just recognising that, yeah, they're pigs at 500 metres or a dog at 500 metres, um, but you're actually identifying that 100%. So you know exactly what you're looking at and and targeting. And then switching to your scopes, uh, similar thing if, um, yeah, you're shooting long range for those same sort of targets. Um, you'd want a higher base mag and then with them uh, short range, um, if you're, say, on the back of a motorbike and, and chasing mobs of pigs, um, maybe not at night, but um, if that was the case, then, you know, you'd want that lower base mag on your scope. So, again, probably, the you know, both scenarios probably do, you know, do work out in St. George or something, somewhere like that, Western Queensland. Well, we're trying to convey is that just because you're in a certain location doesn't necessarily mean that that particular one always suits you, right? There's always a little bit give and take. Now, um, one thing that I just want to point out is that if you run into mobs of pigs, right, and you get really close to them, you want, and really by really close, I mean sub-70 metres, right? You can get real, real close, but let's call sub-70 metres. If you want to do a running shot on the second or third one, you need a wider field of view because what happens is if your field of view is very narrow, you can't see that kettle is about to come into your shooting line, right? You can't see that there's a house coming up. So you'll be you'll be aiming and you'll be uh, giving it lead and then something comes up and it's going to be too late. The next thing is that to give enough lead and to find the animals running, you need a wider field of view in the first place. So it really comes down to do I shoot them at 200 meters and is there just going to be one big ball around generally? Or do I run constantly into massive, massive big uh, mobs of pigs of like 30 plus or 10 plus, you know? And so that really determines then uh, which field of view you want to have on your scope pretty much. Yeah. What about the third one too? Because I guess you brought up the other guy before that wanted to buy, you know, or buy um, an item for foxes, for an example. You know, foxes, wild dogs, sometimes they come in close, sometimes they, you know, stay out of distance too. So what's sort of suitable for them? Yeah, foxes and dogs are uh, a little bit of a specialty, I have to say. Um, they behave quite different to most animals or most other feral animals uh, at, at night, um, whereas most feral animals move relatively slow uh, because they most of the time are feeding and they're coming out of cover because they feel safe, right, until guys like us rock up um, and tell them different. But basically, dogs and foxes, they move relatively quickly through the landscape. So you don't have a lot of time to set up. You don't have a lot of time to take the shot. Uh, the only exception is it, it is quite simple. Quite simple. Sorry, I'm not simplifying this. It's still an art uh, for me to call in foxes, right? And then the foxes will come from 200, 300 meters, and they run right at you, and they come really close. So in that case, you kind of want... Um, the wide field of view because or you at least want the option of the wide field of view because they might be close. The next thing with that is um, they can come from any direction pretty much most of the time, not downwind, but I've seen different as well. So I just consider them coming from any direction really. Um, if they're downwind, then most of the time I have to take the shot from further away. But at the very least, I'll be scanning, you know, a, a 200 uh, degree arc at the very least around me or even more. So for that, I want a wide field of view. But because they're coming in from far away, you also want enough detection range or identification range to be able to tell that it is a fox or it is a dog, right? So then basically you want the both, or you want the best of both worlds, which basically ends up with a 640 chip if you can afford it, right? If you can't, 
then go with happy medium around the two face magnification with a handheld. From a shooting perspective, interestingly, the professional fox shooters really like higher base magnification scopes, right? And so they'll be going for something like a four base magnification, and they probably would even go a little bit higher if they could. Because what happens is um, the vast majority of the time they are single animals or maybe two or maybe three. You don't rock up with 10. And even so, let's just assume you do, uh, you wouldn't get a shot out at, at five or six dogs because they'll be out of range or out of sight within seconds, right? So what happens is really you take one or two um, and therefore you, you can allow yourself a high magnification with a small narrow field of view, which just gives you a lot of detail and allows you to take the shot at two, 250 meters at night comfortably if you wanted to. And sometimes, you know, they just don't come into you and they'll just march past you and you have to take the shot at 200 because, you know, you got 20 seconds to take the shot. So when it comes to foxes and dogs, the higher the base magnification on the scope, the better. Um, with the monocular, like I said, the 640 monocular, um, preferably with a relatively wide field of view, but if you can't afford it, then then go with a two base magnification, maybe two and a half, depending on your terrain. Interesting question. I guess it's compass four and five, but uh, professional. I mean, except for probably pricing, <laughs> but then again, there are a lot of recreational hunters that do like to spend money too. But uh, professional colours say you know shooting from a vehicle, car compared to you know, recreational hunting, you know, in, in, say, forests or open land? I mean, how does that gear, I guess, differentiate the two scenarios between, say, professional and recreational hunter? Well, yeah, like you said, um, you know, professionals seem to have a lot more money or they can spend the money because it's for a business. So, uh, and for that reason, then they can push into things like car-mountable thermals. Uh, so a couple of brands have come on the market with an actual... Um, car mounted system. Uh, Infra got a great one that's just come out that's actually stabilized. Uh, Bastion's holding it here. <laughs> it's a full 360 rotatable system that's remote controlled either by a joystick keyboard or through a tablet device via Wi Fi. The, we've tested these guys and these things are awesome. Um, basically, for a professional too, they're typically uh, a lone shooter. So they're able to drive around, be scanning with that device um, to a screen in the car, remotely controlled, you know, say if you're down, um, you know, in Victoria or Western New South Wales during the winter months when, you know, there's a lot of work going on, then it's going to be cold. So, you know, windows up, nice and toasty in the car and you've got your thermal on top of the vehicle doing all the work while you drive around. You can set them up. They're fully automated with um, waypoints, say, that you can set and it'll continually scan while you drive. But they're pricey. So for, uh, you know, you and I as a recreational hunter, maybe out of our price range, um, you know, at the high six, uh, mid $7,000 um, at the moment. Uh, and same again with all the other devices. You know, the, the pros that have got the money, will spend it on the higher-end monocular, the higher-end scope, so they're getting uh, better quality images, uh, which in turn is everything's happening faster. So they're locating, identifying animals quicker uh, so they can actually, you know, move through the areas that they're working in and be doing their jobs quicker because for them, time is money. So they can spend the money, 
um, but they're going to make that return a lot quicker under thermals at that higher level. Yeah, I know. It's uh, yeah. I wouldn't mind getting myself one of those <laughs> oh, yeah. if I could afford it. Wouldn't we all? Exactly. Lucky ourselves and experience it, and then we always cry when we have to hand them back on. <laughs> tell them it's this late unit. <laughs> I know, I know. Actually, I think I saw. I, think I saw a video. One of the guys using it on one of the maybe YouTube video. I came in a couple of days ago, but I'm not sure if that's the exact one. So I don't want to go in it just in case it's not the exact one. But I think it is actually. Cause I remember the name. But you know, but I mean, you see customers come in their journeys. I mean, they come in. They well, they ring up. They want to buy something. I mean, what's the sort of typical? They start off with something. You know, on the lower end, do they normally start with something on the high end? You know, when do they upgrade? Um, you know, does everyone sort of end up at the same place in the end, like at, at expensive gear? I mean, you know, we all know in thermals and those sort of things and, and scanners, you, you, know, you pay for what you get. The more you spend, the more quality. So ha- what's the sort of journey in regards to the average customer? Yeah, very, very good question. And we, we see it over and over, right? And, and yeah, you're right. It pretty much ends up all in the same well, basically with the same setup, and that, that's not just because of our advice, but just in general, the learning. So we try to uh, supercharge that and get you onto that way as fast as we can so that you save money. That's all what it's about, right? If, if you're not on that path, then you'll be spending left, right, and then eventually you come back on the path and you just you just paid a lot of money for your learning, so you can supercharge it. Um, so basically, uh, we have customers that don't get any advice, right? And, and, and like, like I said, myself being a great example, I bought the scope first, night vision digital, night vision scope, and I thought, yeah, cool, I'm ready to roll. Come to find out, no, it's a disaster, and I still need to put a spotlight on my car or, or a torch and try to find the eye shine or, or find the animals and then use the, the digital night vision scope. Um, that then caused basically, well, the animals know I'm there. So it kind of defeats the purpose. Yes, I, I, my first shot hit rate goes up a bit because they stand still for a bit longer, but if they're spooky like deer, then, then they're probably already gone already. Um, but then what you find is um, then the customer goes, all right, I need to find the animals quicker, so I'll buy a thermal monocular. So they buy a thermal monocular, and that's what happens is they use the thermal monocular, they scan, and they find heaps of animals, right? And they're going, wow, there's so many animals. This is great. And there is the one that I want to take, right? They bring up their digital night vision scope that they bought, and they go, where the heck is it? Where? Because you're switching from uh, a technology that shows you heat, and it's right there, and you can see it. It's right next to that tree. And then you switch to digital night vision, which is in two colors, uh, with a camouflaged animal in, in the forest or in the bush or in high grass that you can't see through. And you're going, okay, it's the third tree to the right of the big tree and then a bit down and somewhere there's the animal and then you're really waiting for the animal to move so that you can pick up the movement in in your line of sight. Um, It will do your head in within two or three times going out and you're going, stop this. I just want to see what I see in my monocular because I know he's there. And that's basically, like I give you an example, we were looking out of the car, you guys were using uh, binoculars and I had a digital night vision scope that I was trialing. There was a hair, it was about six meters from the car, mate, it was an explosion uh, with a 308. But um, the guys were the guys were looking with thermal and said, it's right there, Bastion, it's right there in the grass. And I'm going, where, where? It's right there. So um, yeah, people, people will just have enough at some point and they end up with a thermal scope. So everybody will in the end, end up with a thermal scope and a monocular. 
how they get there, there's different journeys. Then obviously the other ones are that listen to us or, or other, for that point, other uh, specialist stores. And uh, they'll say, all right, buy monocular first. And because, you know, it's an expensive good, uh, good, right? It starts at a thousand roughly and it ends at, like I said, 10. So people will spend, or people should, our recommendation at least, spend as much money as necessary to get the right monocular for them. If that means they have no more money to buy anything else, then that's still well-invested money for the future. So buy the right monocular for you first. Get a laser rangefinder in there if you can afford it, right? Because it'll save you money in the long term. And there are some good options these days out there. Then if you don't have enough money, which most people don't, right? We, we, we do have customers that come with 10 grand and say, hey, I got 10 grand, I want both, work it out. And then we'll work with them. But most people um, come and say, I don't know, my budget is two, three, four grand. So in that, in that price range, you're really only going to get a monocular or you're going to get complete budget on both ends. And yeah, it might not suit what you need. So anyway, you get a monocular first or handheld. And then what you're going to do is you're going to buy a torch. And you're going to buy preferably a red, red light torch. Um, and then there are some that have multiple colors, which is good, but you just want to move away from the white light. So you use red light just because the animals tend to, uh, tend to continue to do what they're doing under red light. And then, or alternatively, if you have a bit more money, but not enough for thermal, uh, you kind of get into the night vision, digital night vision scopes, right? It's still better than, than a torch, but Realistically, like if I talk about something like a high-end Pulsar Thermion, um, Pulsar, um, what are they called again? DJX. Um, they're two and a half grand. Mm -hmm. and for two and a half grand, you can get an entry-level thermal that, that's good enough to do for most hunters. So the argument to buy a digital nitrogen scope really is only, most of the time, only for contractual purposes where, um, where you have to either identify the specific species as in uh, professional colors, they have to choose between, you know, a wallaby and a kangaroo and then a male versus female. And you can't really do that with thermal, uh, not yet at least. So you, you'll be ending up with a digital night vision scope or night vision scope. And then eventually they move into thermal scopes with the exception that I just explained. Now, um, yeah, so important though is to always buy a hand model, yeah. With that one exception <laughs> that I've just heard, always buy a monocular first or handheld device yeah. and try to get the LRF in there. You'll save yourself heaps of money and you're going to have so much more success uh, with the equipment. So that would be the, the customer journey. In the end, it's full on thermal. So um, might as well That's the goal. Yep. get yourself. So, what, so with the scan, are they trying to obviously find game, and then and then what if they do have the the thermal scope? Then get on the scope if that's what they can afford. Like that's that's generally what people are doing these days. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, perfect. So, well, I mean, obviously the main expense is the main unit. So the two two units or one unit scanner, thermal scope, whatever it may be. I mean, what else do people need? Is that pretty much you know pretty much it, or what, anything else they need to sort of consider on the on the other end of like um, accessories or? Oh, look, yeah, we sell a lot of accessories. Um, obviously, mostly catered to thermal. Um, so thermal mounts for your car, whether that's just a window mount or part of a lone shooter setup. Uh, so, you know, you're traveling around and been able to mount that thermal remotely connected to the tablet. So you've got a, yeah, like I said earlier about a, a screen and live viewing that device 
within the car if you're driving around on your own or even even better than yet uh, a lot of devices will actually connect to multiple so thermal devices will connect to multiple streaming devices so we've had a setup where we had a thermal mounted on the side of the car or someone a spotter controlling that thermal then the driver's got a display in the screen uh, sorry a screen that he can watch what's happening while he's driving around and the other guys on the back of the ute say have got another uh, tablet or, or you know streaming device that they're watching what's going on so when you when you're hunting in a group of guys you know from a vehicle say like a you know a ute um, everyone's involved so it's not just the guy with the device either up to his eye or even you know uh, on a mount that everyone's actually in on the action um, we also do rests for walking uh, so uh, static setup for tripods and to mount your rifle that's got your thermal on it or just mounting the thermal on that tripod for for static sort of setup and spotting, you know, different animals from a static position, calling in foxes, whatnot. Yeah. Uh, head torch and other torches as well for, you know, I guess your budget hunter, like myself, I still use a torch on my day scope and, you know, handheld thermal. Um, and then switch to the to the rifle with the the coloured torch on the day scope mounted. So different windage mounts um, that attach that torch to the day scope, so it's fully adjustable and you can line it up with your day scope. Um, yeah, what else? Fashion is that? Head, head torches. So um, one thing that most people don't consider, or well, late. I was certainly one of them. Is if you go full thermal, you're not turning the lights on. So as a consequence, it's great when you look through the devices, but if you need to move 200 meters through the scrub or, or the field even, and you don't have the light on, well, you're going to fall on your ass with some really expensive <laughs> equipment. Yeah. So you have to basically turn on some light unless you have the full-on headgear, night vision goggles, the whole lot, right? Mm. Which, who does that? Um, the Americans. I know, I know, I know. The Americans do. But they're <laughs> very rare. So um, you'll be turning the light on. So what we what we encourage and what we sell is um, head torches a bunch. So you want to have a head torch, preferably that throws a light down to your feet, so you can see where you're stepping. So it needs to be adjustable, height adjustable. Then the next thing would be dimmable, because you don't want to throw more light down than necessary, because the whole point of it is being stealthy, right? So you don't want to light it all up. You just want to light enough up that you don't uh, stumble over the ground. Um, and then focusable so that you can focus it down to only the part in front of you rather than an open light like one of those budget um, head mounts that just have a light and it goes like in a, in a 180 degree arc, right? That's, I mean, sure, if you can't afford uh, one of the top ones, that's fair. That's still better than nothing and still better than daylight if it's a red light. But yeah, if, if, if you can afford it, and to be honest, the people that can buy a three, four, five thousand dollar thermal scope or, or monocular, um, they got two, three hundred dollars for a good and the right torch, so that's generally not the problem. It's it's money well invested because it is extremely likely, unless you always shoot from a car, that you'll be moving into the animal, and therefore uh, you want to do that stealthy because you have five or six or ten grand of uh, gear on you. Um, yeah, don't save on those two hundred bucks. Yeah, exactly. We'll just we'll step forward to one here thing. We'll talk about that first. The 
um, uh, torches. So you said most people will probably have a monocular. And then this is, I remember the last show we did, <laughs> I struggled to understand there for a while how people were actually seeing them in the bush at night. But, you know, can, can you just explain that again quickly? So obviously scanning for an animal. And then if you see an animal, you actually use your day scope and then use some type of uh, red torch on top of that scope to obviously, you know, shoot, I say relatively quickly, but enough to be able to get onto the animal, identify the animal and, you know, dispatch that animal. Yeah, pretty much bang on. So imagine I'm standing in a field, right? I'm not mounted, not mounted on a car or anything. I'm just standing like a normal guy, standing in the field at night as you do with a gun. Um, and then, <laughs> and then you have your monocular. So you put your monocular to your eye, right? Think of binoculars. If, if monoculars isn't common to you, think of binoculars. Everybody uses them. You put them to your eyes. You scan, right? By scanning, you look left to right, up, down, and you just look for heat signatures. Now, I'm gonna. I see the terrain. I don't really know what distances it is because it is very extreme or extremely difficult to judge. But I scan. I see, you know, the tree line, the, the open field, and I see a couple heat signatures on the field. I can't tell what it is. Right, I just know there is something there, and I wouldn't be comfortable to take a shot at this distance because it might be out of range, or I just can't tell what it is. Is it a calf laying down, or is a deer bedded down? They look very similar, so I know I need to get closer. So in that moment, basically, what I do is I put down my binoculars. They're generally hung around my neck, or put them in a bag, and then I decide how far do I want to walk. If, if I have a laser range find, I would have lasered it, let's say 300 meters, and I know I have to go at least 150 meters to have a comfortable shot. So then I turn my head torch on, point that down to my feet, and I'll just walk. And I'll just try to make as little sound as possible. And then I generally count my steps, and I know 50 steps, 50 meters roughly, right, depending on the terrain. And then I stop, turn my light off on the head, because I don't want to look up and point the light towards the animal. I turn that off. I bring up my binoculars, I scan, I see the animal, it's still feeding, it doesn't know I'm there, it's not doing anything, great, I'm 250 meters away, now I've got to go another 100. So then I repeat the process until I get into my shooting range, right? I also make sure that I'm on the right side of the wind. So I want to be downwind and then, um, yeah, sneak in downwind, right? So they have no idea I'm coming. And then once I get to my 150 meters, 100 meters, 50 meters, depending on what I'm comfortable shooting with, and I identified by then the animal, and I know it's something I want to take, um, I then set up my tripod, right, uh, or my bipod. Uh, just one point on there. A lot of people go, oh, I'm just going to go to the next tree. Well, the thing at night is it's really quiet. There aren't any birds. There aren't many sounds. So it's really quiet. What is under a tree? A whole bunch of branches, a whole bunch of leaves. So even if there is close by a, a, a tree or something, um, you're going to make a lot of sound when you step under that tree or you're going to fall because you didn't see that branch or just, just avoid trees at night, right? So set up your bipod. You have all the time in the world, generally speaking, if it isn't a dog or a fox. And then you set up your tripod, bipod, the rest, whatever it might be. You line up your gun. You then either turn on your torch on your gun or you use your thermal scope or night vision scope. Um, yeah, you place your shot, uh, you take the shot and pops your uncle. That's pretty much it. When it comes to uh, just one thing I want to talk about, when you, when you talk about putting a light on an animal, right? We highly, highly recommend get a torch that's one dimmable, focusable, and is red light, preferably, right? 
if it is a red light, there's a couple options uh, that we can talk about um, how to make it red light really, really cheap. Um, but basically, uh, those things. What you want to do is you want to start when you turn the light on, on the lowest intensity possible, the widest, um, the widest arc, and then increase the intensity slowly. Like you can take a minute, you can take two minutes. If you take a minute and a half to two minutes, the animals won't even know that you're there. Because as it increases, they they don't they don't feel that it increases. So they'll just continue to do what they're doing, right? And let's assume you have the time, you crank it up slowly. Take your time. No problem. And then if if you get to full maximum and it's still not enough light to take the shot, you then bring in the beam, right? And then you intensify the beam onto the animal. Only bring enough light downrange to take the shot. Don't light that animal up till it stands out, right? Eventually, the animal will be like, oh, this light is hitting me and it's annoying. And they start turning away from you, which means you're shooting them up their ass, you know, Texas hard shot. Or they'll just go, oh, no, I really don't like this. And then they're going to start walking off. And you don't want either. So just enough to make sure you're shooting at the right animal and you can do a good shot placement. You know what you're looking at. And then pull the trigger and you're done, right? Um, the one comment on that is if you have a spotlight or a torch that isn't dimmable, try to bring the light on slowly onto the animal, right, from the side. And try not to use the center beam. Like the pro colors, they use the torch, uh, the, the spotties, depending on what type of animal. But if they're skitterish to light, they bring the light on, they set the light away from the animal, but just enough that the outside of the spotlight still delivers enough light for them to take the shot. Um, some people put it right on the animal and blind them. Uh, it works for some animals. It doesn't work for others, others. And once animals get used to it, you'll be better off to just put it on the side so they're not blinded. Uh, they might continue even feeding or doing whatever they do, and they just don't care until the bullet hits the animal, right? I was going to talk about too. I mean, when you're walking around, I mean, you, you found the animal. Like, should you be looking at, you know, try, obviously you want to make sure it depends on, you know, the price obviously of the, the thermal or night vision you're buying to try and identify. That's the, bit, that's the you know, most important thing. Obviously, you don't want to be shooting, yeah, as you said before, you know, farmer's sheep or cattle or anything like that. So, you know, should you be aiming to get close? I mean, obviously, as you said, it's not as, it's pretty quiet at night. So you don't have the birds chirping. You don't have the natural sounds that are out during the day. So you've got smell, you've got, you know, sound. They can pick you up with that sort of thing as well. So what should you be doing? Trying to get as close as you can. Can you get close? Um, obviously, that would come up to a little bit of stalking skills as well. But what do you, what do you generally think? Yeah, well, definitely. Look, under thermal, um, you know, no light at all. Uh, like, we've got uh, guys that are bow hunters, and they've snuck up at pigs like 10 metres, and, and that's that's legit. Um, obviously, everything was working in their favour. So, you know, nice and quiet stalking, like you mentioned. Um, the wind's in the right direction. And pigs, man, they're noisy when they feed. Um, I've snuck up to about a mob of pigs on 40 metres, I think it was, with a with a friend and I was only using an entry level monocular um, and then we both switched to the you know to the torches and three two one and and you know let fly so um, yeah under thermal just being able to get that close to pigs is yeah is is awesome um, 
boxes probably the same, or they love being called in. Uh, you know, so much technology. We're talking about thermals, which are technical. You know, using apps on your phone with uh, distressed animal calls, and and they just take a beeline for you when you you know you play that sound of a distressed rabbit. Just on that, there is an app. It's called iHunt. Um, that's what I personally use. It's free. You can download it. There's like I don't know, 200 calls on there, and um, if you're on a budget, mate, I, I called foxes in from 100 meters just with my just with my phone speaker. But then, uh, if you want to call them in from further, you just use a Bluetooth, you know, um, straight out of the car speaker. Yeah, or out of the car. <laughs> just hook up your phone to the car, put that on. It's free. It's awesome. Put the distressed rabbit on there, and you'll, you'll see the foxes fly at you. Mm, so it's yeah, really good. Definitely. Um, and yeah, dogs probably similar to foxes, um, but you know, because they are skittish, and they're, like Bastian said earlier, they move through the landscape so quickly. Um, you don't have a lot of time to, you know, take a shot on a dog generally. Um, so, look, around figures 50 metres, say, um, that's probably going to be really good if you can sneak in that close. Um, deer, probably similar. Um, you know, you're going to be 50 to 70 metres, say, because, you know, deer have got very good eyesight and excellent hearing. So, uh, look, <laughs> like me and most shooters, you know, we're not that quiet when we're walking around the bush with guns and, compared to, you know, say, bow hunters. Um, so, yeah, deer probably 50, 70 metres would be reasonable. But, look, yeah, so we're talking about, you know, thermal uh, under complete darkness. So um, most animals can be shot within that 100 metres because we're working under darkness. All the conditions are right. You can sneak in a lot closer than daytime. Um, but also talking about nighttime, uh, you know, if you've got a full moon, you need to be aware that, that moon can cast a, um, a lot of light. And so your silhouette can actually be picked up uh, by animals. If their head's down feeding, obviously not, but if they've stopped and you've made a sound or or they've been disturbed, so all the winds switch directions, that animal could look around and see your silhouette against the skyline or um, or obviously hear you if, you know, um, the wind's changed and, and you're making too much noise. So, uh, look, yeah. It's um, just on that one, especially with pigs, because pigs are so close to the ground. When they look up, and they'll be, you know, 10, 20 centimeters off the ground, when they look up, it's really easy to look up and silhouette you against the sky. So the closer you get to pigs, the lower you have to go. Uh, you'd probably be good at 50, um, and then slowly you gotta, you gotta, yeah, you gotta get down mm. if you want to get really close, so yeah. they don't silhouette you against the sky. Yeah. And coming down a hill is even worse if they're in the valley looking up. If they're on a hill, then you can get really, really personally, personal, personal. Up close and personal. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what about car thermals, etc.? What's the what's the best way to go about that? You know, obviously, as you said, you got those ones you can put on the roof now, connect them to, you know, tablets or so forth, um, monitors, etc. Is that the, is that the way to go these days, or? Um, yeah. So with cars, um, you basically have. Um, three solutions, right? The one is where you, um, so just for cars in general, right? The, the car setup is always the same in terms of Wi-Fi connectivity. And by that, I mean, you have the thermal, whatever it is, a car roof mounted or a handheld device, and it creates a Wi-Fi connection to your tablet or iPad that you place somewhere in your car. Uh, you can, most of the time, Wi-Fi, not all of them, but some, most of, oh, not even most of the time. Sometimes you can Wi-Fi to multiple devices so like Demo explained earlier, 
You mm. can have multiple people at locations within the car to see the same on their screen, right? Or telephone or, or tablet. Now, the alternative to that is sometimes you can hardwire them too, depending on the device. And you can hardwire them into a normal AD display, like your reversing camera kind of display, um, and rather than a tablet. Now, one thing to consider is the Wi-Fi connectivity in some brands is better than others and more stable in some than others. So just ask us what you want, if you want that sort of setup and we can help you out there. Um, there's also a lot on the internet and when people complain of, about Wi-Fi connectivity, then, then just don't go with that brand um, or that particular thermal. Now, that's the general setup. And then you have three different sub setups as such. So one is a roof mounted dedicated thermal scope, like, um, oh, sorry, thermal monocular or, or, yeah, it's not even a monocular, it's just a roof mounted thermal device. Oh, a, a thermal like, dome camera, they call yeah. them, or PCZ, which is in the, the security realm is pan tilt zoom. Yeah. So you can have one of those or, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. And then what happens is that device stays on your car and um, you get the footage, right? But then if you get out of the car, you can't take it with you. So the alternative to that then is a handheld device. You can mount that in two different ways. One is you can mount it where your spotlight is. So a lot of people switch out the spotlight or put it in addition to their spotlight so that they use the spotlight for scanning for eyeshine potentially, right? Like five, 600 meters away. Then they turn that off and they switch to thermal and then they make their way in as an example, or if they um, shot something and they need the spotlight to, either, to to find the animal or direction, various different reasons. But anyway, so you put the thermal where your spotlight is, or you buy a rest that has a spotlight uh, rest on it uh, that you can use. Um, what then happens is you drive around, you scan, you find something, you have the ability to just unclick it. And most of them, or we sell quick release, um, uh, um, adapters so you can just unclip quickly uh, and then keep on walking with your thermal right because you can take it with you the other one is if you don't have any mounts you'll be using it out of the car out of the car window now what you need to consider is that if it is on the spotlight mount you can pretty much turn that 360 degrees so you can scan in any direction and most of the time you'll be scanning 180 degrees forward so 90 right, right and 90 left if you come to a boundary you probably scan 90 to either side left or right degrees right um, now if you are in the car you can't do that so you'll be scanning out of a car window which means you can because and this is some people don't realize that thermals cannot look through glass so when you see hollywood and it shows you that you look in a building and you see all these heat signatures it's horseshit it doesn't work thermals tell you the surface temperature of any surface glass has a surface and therefore you'll see the glass temperature. You can't look through the glass. So all you see is gray, pretty much. So you have to look out of an open window, not your front window, an open window. And so that then means you're gonna be looking on one side only. So if you drive forward and there might be animals left and right, well, you'll be sitting in the driver's seat and looking basically past the passenger seat and the passenger potentially, and try to look out of that window and then try to look out of the right and try to drive. It, it'll do your head in. So get, put it put it where spotlight is. That'll be my recommendation. Hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, it's good. I've got a question here. 
um, from Matt. I said to you before, because I was reading it and I got confused myself. So, Matt, it's a good question. So we thought we'd let let Bastion answer it because I've got no idea. Um, So he's about to pull the trigger. He said on night vision scope... And wants to clarify on the wavelength of illuminators. So if he now I'm sorry if this doesn't make sense to people, but hopefully it does. If I get a scope with a built-in 940 NMIR for close shots, so the game can't see the red glow, does that mean the scope can only see 940 NM? Sorry if that, I'm not making sense for that, but anyway, I'll go on. It says if I had an if if I add an extra 850 torch like the Z Vision DN303 IR Illuminator combo. Will the scope work with the 850 NM light for longer shots? Now, sorry if that's making sense. That's why I sent it to you before the show, just so we could make sure we get the right answer for him. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let me unpack a couple of things. One, I hope he already has a thermal scope. Uh, sorry, <laughs> no, I got it wrong. A thermal monocular or handheld device, right? So <laughs> yeah. even, even you're saying scopes I, now. <laughs> right. So, so we, we, we do sell them, right? And And... So I'll, I'll answer the question. Um, so I just need to explain a few things so we all on the same page, right? Digital night vision is not like night vision as in the military night vision, which is also considered starlight. Starlight or night military night vision works with enough, well, sorry, stars in the sky project enough light or reflect enough light onto the earth for these devices to work. They don't need additional light sources. Digital night vision is nothing else than a CCTV camera that's really sensitive to light or thermal, oh, sorry, infrared light, infrared light. And so what happens is these digital scopes still require what's called an infrared illuminator or infrared torch. So you still have your scope, right, your digital night vision scope, and on top you still have some sort of torch or illuminator, right? I'll just go with torch because people then can imagine in, in their minds what, what it looked like. Now, digital night vision works it works e it works well between 940, 940, just imagine 940, the number 940, and 850. The difference is that 850, um, think of it as a high powered torch versus a budget weak torch being 940. So at night with a digital night vision, an 850 will throw a lot more light down range and will give you a greater range to shoot. However, the downside of this, and then people are like, yeah, well, why would I even bother with a 940 if I can have an 850 and it allows me to shoot further? Well, yeah, but the only downside for that is that the bulb, so just to clarify, it's infrared at that frequency, which means it's invisible to animals or humans. So you turn it on, the scope can see the light, you can't see the light, right? So everything is pitch black, but the scope can see the light, right? And only the scope. But the problem is with an 850 is that the bulb, like the objective of the torch, will will glow slightly red, right? The LED to us looks red and the glass actually kind of reflects it. So you have this red glow. Um, it's not intense, but it's there. And I've shot pigs at 15 meters, and when I turned it on, they noticed it, and they were on the run. So it is a thing, right? But if you shoot 30 meters and above, you're probably going to get away with it. But some people shoot really close, right? 
and some people shoot in a shed, mice or whatever it is. So they want to be super stealthy. And for that, and dogs, for example, foxes, example, um, they don't like that sort of stuff. So therefore, they came up with 940. And 940 wavelength will only show, when you look into the torch while it's on, you, unfortunately, I don't have one here, otherwise I would show, but um, you can only see the LED itself, right, which is tiny. So you can ignore that. So basically, when people refer to 940, they also refer to stealth infrared because nobody can see it, nor the animals, nor you. What, what's the distance on 940 anyway, for an example? Right, 100 meters max. And what about the what about the eight fifty? What's on, what's distance on that? Eight fifty, pretty much. There are no more torches, uh, no more illuminators of sold. Pretty much at, that are less than two hundred fifty meters, all the way to basically a kilometer. And I don't, I, I mean it. I've tested them. They massive infrared torches. Uh, they're called sniper uh, sniper holes. Uh, and and I thought it was a bluff. Uh, I thought. I couldn't believe it. And then I found an area that was 800 meters wide aside and I lit the forest up at 800 meters like it was daylight. So with the infrared, so only, only again, the device was able to see it. I couldn't see it with my bare eyes. So what I'm trying to say is 940 is great if you sub 100 meters. If you want to shoot above that, 850. Now, to his question, because it's an awesome question. These scopes get advertised as um, Digital night vision, 850. Digital night vision, 940, right? The device can see both, always. The difference is the LED in the illuminator that comes with the device. So that's the answer to his question. And then the follow-up his follow -up question is, can I have a torch that has both, like the... Um, uh, NP, was it the NP303 he was referring to? Uh, NP303. Yeah. Oh, DN, ZVision, ZVision, DN303, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. um, so on that, the ZVision torches are awesome. So if you go down that torch, uh, that tor uh, or the torch option or night vision, uh, sorry, infrared illuminators, uh, I have to say the ZVision torches are very reliable and great and great, uh, great service, uh, service from the manufacturer. So, um, yeah. So to explain to the listeners, um, the flashlight that he's referring to has multiple LEDs in it that you can that you can toggle through by turning a little knob. So you actually have three different LEDs, which means you have three different options, right? And they come in different various alternative setups um, in terms of LED combination. Now, that particular one has a 940 and an 850 LED in and I believe a red light. Um, as well. So it's actually a very, very handy torch for digital night vision. Uh, actually, pretty much the best torch out there for digital night vision. Now, in terms of giving you options, right? Yes, you will be able to use any of those for your digital night vision. And funnily enough, you'll find out that the red light, which you can see with your eye, really doesn't throw enough light down range for the scope to see. So you'll be ending up using the 940 or the 850. But again, the 940 is a short-range uh, stealth torch, uh, infrared torch, um, and then the 850 is obviously the long-range one. And you sometimes see that in the description being referred to as stealth and long-range. Uh, does that make sense, Jason? I yeah, yeah, no, it's good, yeah. I mean, hopefully 
Maddie, that answers your question. <laughs> Much better. I wouldn't have a clue even how to start. So that's why we, that's why we got Bash on the show to uh, have a chat about it. Yeah. Um, just one more point on that. So if you want both, buy an 850 device or a device that comes with an 850 and then get yourself something like uh, the Z-Vision Torch, which has both. And the reason for that is when you later want to sell the unit, more people want a long-range capability than a short-range. So if you then sell it, you get more money or there are more customers to buy it, which means you get more money for it than as if you were to sell a 940. Yep. Exactly. Uh, third, interesting question here. You brought up um, the difference. You, you know, I guess this is for con- contract shooters. Um, yeah, like, how does suppressors and that make a difference, or flash hiders? I mean, when shooting at night, does that affect this type of shooting, or can you go more in depth on that? Sure. Um, so, when it comes to suppressors, suppressors are amazing. Right? Unfortunately, we are here in Queensland, and it's a big, big no-no uh, for our government. Well, Australia in general. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but we we have a few professional shooters who who are able to use them down in New South Wales, and I believe even in Victoria. Um, but I'm not an expert down there, so up here it's a big no-no. But if you have the ability, uh, or sorry, you're legally allowed to use one, it will make a huge difference, not only from sound perspective, but also from the flash. So the flash is hidden within the suppressor. There's potentially a tiny bit of flame coming out at the end but most of the time they don't even uh, let any flame come out so which means you're very very stealthy because the sound is also suppressed significantly um, you you will see that the animals actually sometimes run at you uh, they basically get in any direction and sometimes they run at you just because they have no idea where you are so get ready for really close shots and the heart pumping when the ball suddenly decides to run towards you, right? They might not know, they don't know that you're there, but it, you, you still start, you know, start maybe shitting your pants a bit. But, um, <laughs> yeah. and then flash hiders. So flash hiders are better than none, having none. And that's just because, and I explain that a little bit. So a flash hider for people that don't know what it is, it's basically a muzzle break, muzzle break of flash hiders. Flash hiders are designed to disperse the uh, burning gases into various directions so that the flame burns, um, I guess, less long and less intense, whereas muzzle brakes are designed to reduce the recoil. Both, in essence, will redirect the gases and therefore will automatically spread the flame into multiple directions, which will reduce the actual flash of of the shot. So if you're on the animal receiving side and basically somebody shoots at you, and I experienced that in the military basically, um, if, they, if they don't have a flash suppressor, the flame coming out and the flash is relatively big at night, depending on the caliber, depending on the length of the barrel, that sort of stuff, right? But it's easy to make out where it came from. If they use a flash hider um, or a muzzle brake, it becomes a lot harder to determine exactly one, how far they are, and two, where they are. Um, because the flame is shown a lot shorter, right? Um, and so, therefore, having a flash hider or a muzzle brake is better than not having one. It's not as good as a suppressor, but it will help you hide um, where you are and you will get more often animals running towards you or in an angle towards you and that sort of stuff where you have multiple ability or multiple times a chance to take another shot in them. 
What about sound? Eh? Like when you, you if you shoot at them, I mean, they normally go. Well, I know that's over there, even if you're not using any of those, like a you know suppressor, you know muzzle brake, etc. Do they, or is, or is it more the flash the animals are seeing? Going well, hey, he's over there. You know, because obviously, I presume it's a lot, uh, it's a lot more prominent, obviously, at night because yeah, it's pitch black. <laughs> It's um, okay. And this is just my assumption, right? I, I haven't tested this, but from a sound perspective, if nothing is behind them to reflect the sound, they are very likely to know where the shot came from. If there are a lot of trees around them that reflect the sound, it's very difficult to know exactly out of which direction, especially if the, if the objects are close to the animal, uh, where the sound exactly came from. So they tend to run in any direction rather than straight away from you. Um, uh, thinking of pigs, and you see that when you, when you, when you look, at, look at the shooting videos uh, online and the kill shots with thermal gear, pigs tend to, not always, but often run parallel to you. As in, they don't run straight away from you, they run kind of like parallel. Um, so what, that's at least our experience, right? But I can't scientifically tell you if that's true or not uh that's just um what we experienced yeah that's good let's talk about yeah and just i guess a few last couple of questions to finish off to it let's talk about budget setup um you know for someone you know just wants to get started they want to see if they like it first before you know maybe they shell out a lot of money so they want to get into it as opposed to let's go into then a professional setup for someone that's sort of serious either colors or serious hunters or people that have got access to you know good amounts of properties to be able to shoot on and like shooting at night yeah yeah good question so look for the price of thermals even in the last 12 months uh, we're starting to see pricing drop a bit um, mate, over the last five years, it's come down considerably. So a budget setup can be as little as $800 for uh, a half-decent um, thermal. Like I said earlier in the, the show, we um, snuck into a mob of pigs with a friend of mine. It was an entry-level thermal. It was $1,500. Um, but for as little as $800, um, that would get you a thermal monocular. Um, and then, Bastion, we were talking about the head torches. Uh, look, you can pick you can pick up cheap head torches from BCF or, you know, spend a hundred bucks for something half decent that's got a red light and you can at least direction it maybe straight down to where you're walking. Um, you know, there's 900 bucks. Um, then you can uh, buy a clamp and adapters for, um, you know, a torch to go on your day scope on your rifle uh, to take the shot. Uh, so there you've got thermal on your hand, um, a torch on your rifle. And then look, you know, grab a stick off the ground and, and, you know, whittle it down to create a bit of a, a monopod stand and for a thousand bucks, um, you know, or $1,100, give or take, you know, you've got a, a super budget setup to get you into night hunting. Um, and that thermal is going to, you know, two to three times what you would see uh, as opposed to, you know, flashing a, a spotlight around. So, yeah, it's as easy as that to actually get into night hunting if you haven't done Done it before. If, if someone wants to have a look at it, though, like is there any specific models you'd recommend so they can have a look maybe on the internet, see what sort of quality they're getting or? Well, exactly right. Um, you know, different brands that we've got on the website, like uh, with entry-level thermal. Uh, Infrared have a couple of entry-level models. Um, Night Tech, uh, Hick Micro, and, yeah, they've all got some, you know, really half-decent compared to what they used to be 
say, take a Fleur Scout from five or even 10 years ago, uh, customers ring me and say, look, I've had this from that long ago. The image quality is absolute rubbish. You know, I'm looking at thermal <laughs> blobs that have no idea. Now yeah. I spend a thousand bucks, which is a quarter of what I spent on that thing. And yeah, I can tell that's, uh, you know, uh, a fox or a dog at, you know, 100 meters. So one, one handy little trick on that is oh, a couple of things. One thing I forgot to tell people is, and people say, oh, I got a spotlight, I see all the animals. Um, let me tell you, you don't. The thing is, why I comfortably say that is, you don't know how many animals are there that you actually haven't seen. Once you use a spotlight and a thermal together, mm. you get really, really good idea. Like we had scenarios where we were driving and two spotlights, right? And the guys were looking and it was out in uh, Kanamar, like way out, right? Um, out Western Queensland. And I had to tell the guys, I'm like, guys, back up. I was on the back seat. I was with a thermal, right? And my first thermal back then was three grand, right? Now, literally the $800 ones are as good as that one. Um, and I said, guys, back up, back up. I think they're pigs. And they're like, oh, no, they're not pigs. All right. There was no grass, right? There were a couple of bushes, so there wasn't anywhere to hide. But what has happened is that um, what people don't realize is animals, and especially smart dogs and the old ones, they don't look up and they don't look towards the light. So you don't see the eye shine. And if you don't see the eye shine at 500 meters, you definitely won't make out the animal. So we had pigs at 70 meters from the car, a mob of them that were feeding on a carcass of a roo that happened to have died there. And um, they were feeding on that roo. And I could see him, obviously, like daylight so in, the, in the thermal. And I said, guys, back up, back up. We drove backwards. Uh, they put the spotlights on. It took them ages to find them just because they had the heads down, right? And there was no reflection. And the black pigs on the black background, really hard to see. Eventually, they saw them. We're like, oh, big pigs. And then everybody gets excited and jumps out of the car. And, you know, we opened up and it worked quite well. And then we, walked, we, we started driving again. And after literally 20 meters, I said, stop, stop. I see another one. And the guys are looking with the, with the spotty and they don't see it. And so we get out and there's this one bush, right? And out Kanamala, people have been there. Like there are like, there's nothing. There's just a couple of bushes, like a little bush without leaves, just scrub. And this pig hid under the bush and was looking at us. And at 20 meters, we were in, finally able to make it out so we don't shoot anything and we don't want to shoot. And we're like, that's the pig just standing there, looking at us, right? Not moving. And then we did a three, two, one and dropped it. Uh, so that happened so many times that eventually, obviously, we got full thermal on the spotlight. But the trick that I want to tell you about is for the budget guy. Red light torches tend to be expensive. Red light headlamps are very rare and expensive. Um, unless it's one, like I said, a budget one that can throw a big light. Most people have torches. Most people have headlights. Go to Amazon and search for studio light filter or foil. And what you get is, you know, when they have a stage and they have the big spotlight pointed at the artists, right? They have filters that they put in based on what mood and what color they want to shine. These filters cost like 10 bucks. And you can buy a red light one, and then all you do is you just cut it out, take some tape, and tape it around your torch. And then voila, it's a red light, red light torch or red light headlamp. Some people actually use it and put it on their spotlight in their car. Mm. Oh, sorry, the spotlights, because the spotlight, um, spotlight uh, filters, they cost a fortune. They cost almost as much as the spotlight sometimes. So just do that, and then uh, some guys put it on their front light like the high beams 
or adjust their parking lights, you know, your front lights from your car. And they put that on and then they drive on the red light for like 20 bucks. So um, that's, that's a really handy tip for all these guys out there that, that just don't have the cash. Um, just do that. It'll sort you out. So in the end, 1000 bucks, 1100 still a lot of money. Um, you're up and running. And you're going to take home a lot more than you would otherwise. What about the professional setup? What are they? I mean, sky's the limit. I know that. But uh, what do you reckon? Yeah, sky's the limit. Um, look, you know, we've, we've got the PCZ still sitting in front of us here. Um, you know, they're about, you know, anywhere from six and a half to seven and a half thousand retail. Uh, so there's a vehicle mounted option. Um, you know, I know pros have got also a handheld monocular. So then you're spending, you know, four to five, maybe even six thousand dollars on one of those for a really high end one. And then you got the scope as well for the for the guns. Um, similar price, anything up to oh, Fermion two high ends are like eight grand. Um, yeah, so look, there's an, a cool ten, fifteen grand you can throw at a f- complete thermal setup for your car in your hand for stalking and on your gun. And then you got guys that might have more than one, um, depending on what they're doing. Uh, if they're working, you know, different like all the scenarios we've spoken about. Um, close range, open field. So you need your your differences with your your base magnification, your maybe your higher quality. Yeah, and you might have a, a digital night vision on your your 17 HMR, or and you might have a thermal on your 308. So, mate, yeah, you're right. The sky's the limit. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, if people want to contact you guys, well, first off, um, what's coming next for you guys anyway? I mean, other than hopefully selling lots of products after this show goes live, or <laughs> that'd be the best scenario. <laughs> yeah, look, um, we hope obviously that a lot of people hear this and take a lot of value out of it. Uh, we, we're recording this for our YouTube channel as well to share it uh, to the wider audience um, on our end as well, because um, we will increase our efforts on our YouTube channel to create more educational awareness around hunting at night, how to, you know, how to actually approach the animals at night, how to like this, how to buy or how to find out which thermal is the right one for you. So a lot of educational paces and then we'll focus also on, on reviews and we're working out at the moment um, exactly a, a review template on how to best convey all this technical jargon like i mean we live it and breathe it right mm. but if somebody says uh, what's uh, what's net d uh, what, what what what's millikelvin like nobody needs to know everybody just needs to know this one is the right one for you and so we want to bring that across as simple as possible um, through our youtube channel through those educational pieces and then through the reviews and really really tell people and show people them side by side and say look this is why we recommend this over that have a look at this link, you know, it, it'll help you. And then, and then people can make an educated um, choice, which is best for them, which is what it's all about. Uh, we're hoping that um, we have our own retail store, like I mentioned, by the um, end of the year, so that customers can come in and have a, have a yarn to us and actually touch and feel the product before they buy it. I mean, our return policies are very, very uh, uh, convenient, mm. as in, like, we have 30 days, no money back. Oh, sorry, no money back. <laughs> 30 days, um, money, money back guarantees where people can just trial them and test them and then work out. And we, have, we haven't had a single one coming back because of that advice. So... We have a good track record there, but still people like going in a shop and, and purchasing it. So we understand that and, and we're hoping that uh, we can create enough demand that allows us to, to open up the retail store. So yeah, that's um, 
pretty much that's pretty much us going to be for the next year. I mean, the the season starts like the selling season really starts in March. That's when it kicks off, and then it goes to about September, and then it starts to die down over over Christmas. Um, unfortunately, we haven't gotten to the point where thermal scopes under the Christmas tree is is common. No, that's bad. <laughs> Uh, Maybe it will be this year. Maybe this year. A lot more, a lot more uh, women or, or wives give us a call and say, "Hey, we want something for Christmas." They're generally the entry level, right? Because they don't normally chuck that much money under the Christmas tree. But we, we we notice that we get a lot more a lot more calls um, from from wives wanting a Christmas present for their husbands, right? Or mm. or vice versa. Yeah, actually had that too. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, if the ladies are listening. Get your man a thermal scope, right? Don't don't hesitate. Just get the card out and start buying. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's, that's right. So, so yeah, you guys um, look find us on goingdark.com.au, dot um, or yeah, go on the website. Our YouTube link is there. Or our YouTube channel link is there. Our phone number is there. Just give us a call. Demo or I will be on the phone when you give us a call, yeah. and then um, yeah, we'll. We'll walk you through what you guys need. All right, guys. So, again, if you want to check it out, go to au. Check out all the thermal, all their products, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Bastion, Damon, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Hey, it's been great being back. Yeah, thanks, guys. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.